I was privileged to be brought up in a home that my parents accepted Christ when my mom was pregnant with me. And so I had uh, a lot of opportunity to interact with Christians as a child. And some of my earliest memories interacting with, ch- uh, with, with people outside of the church, like going to their homes, you know, you go into a, a, a home of a person, especially if they're older. When you're a kid, everybody's older, you know. Um, you, you, you see different things hanging on their walls, like maybe, you know, and, and we're talking Christians, you know, people who maybe have like Bible verses on their walls or, or pictures. And, and a picture of Jesus and sheep was something I was pretty familiar with. Like, it wasn't uncommon to, to have some type of, of image as a child, you know, of Jesus, you know, Jesus looking like what Jesus looks like in drawings, but with sheep. You're either having a sheep on his shoulders or a sheep around his feet. Um, if, if that wasn't your upbringing, perhaps uh, maybe you've been to, like, a Christian bookstore, you know, and you find pictures or drawings of Jesus, and, and, and I guarantee you, you'll be able to find one with Jesus and sheep. This picture of him, <clears throat> excuse me, being a shepherd is, is actually one that's, that's pretty well known. In, in fact, it might be one of the more familiar uh, depictions of Jesus. Going back into the first and second century in the catacombs underneath Rome where Christians often hid uh, from persecution. There have been drawings found of a man with sheep. Ostensibly, it's Jesus. So this isn't just something that's a 20th century or 21st century um, invent. In, uh, invention. This is this is pretty familiar. This is a if you're you're familiar with the Bible, if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, if you've heard about Jesus and how he's described, Jesus being the good shepherd is probably something that's familiar. I'm glad that Jason read the passage up until verse 21 because it's really important that we take time looking at how Jesus describes himself in a particular context. And the reason why I say I'm glad he read up to verse 21, because verse 21 does something to the reader, or does something for the reader. Verse 21 brings the attention of the reader back to what just happened in chapter 9. Now here at Grace, we've been going through the Gospel of John. In the last two weeks, we looked at John chapter 9 and the miracle of Jesus healing a man born blind. Jesus uh, saw a man sitting by the road, blind. Jesus asks. Jesus speaks. Jesus teaches his disciples. Jesus tells this man to do something. The man does it, and he's given the ability to see. A man who was born blind can now see. Who does that? No ordinary person can do that. And so these individuals in John chapter 10 and verse 21, when they hear an accusation against Jesus, they're, 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 they're saying, wait a second. How can this person be demon-possessed? How can a demon-possessed person open the eyes of someone who's blind? Now, again... We have this context of Jesus teaching, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. And and by the way, when he says, I am the door, we should be thinking that in the framework of the shepherd. Some of your translations may say, I am the gate. Okay, in verse 7 
of John chapter 10. I am the gate of the sheep, or I am the door of the sheep. So we have this way of entrance into and out of where the sheep are. And then Jesus not only says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. And he's teaching these people. Now, today, we're not going to be spending our time in John chapter 10. We're going to be spending our time in the Old Testament. Because it's really important that we understand the context of what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the good shepherd. When we hear it, a lot of times we think of perhaps the imagery that we're most familiar with. You know, the picture of Jesus with a sheep. You know, maybe the, the, the Bible verse on the wall. And those things are good and true. Perhaps even we think of Jesus or perhaps we think of shepherding in the context of the local church. Often you'll hear verbiage like the flock or under shepherd. But when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 10, the local church would not have been the mental picture that his audience would have had. To be sure, sheep and shepherding was all around them from a society standpoint. I mean, it was pretty common. There were shepherds and there were sheep. The angels visited shepherds, right, in Luke chapter 2. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist calls out to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God. There's imagery throughout the Gospels in reference to sheep and shepherding, and certainly this was a common industry there in Israel. It was common not just for commerce, you think clothing and food, but it was also common for religious worship. Sheep were sacrificed. Sheep were part of the regular temple activity. But when Jesus gets up and talks to, talks to the group of people, and I would go so far as to say he's talking to the Pharisees in verse 1 of John chapter 10. He says, truly I say to you. It's like in John 10, we're jumping right into something. It's because something's been going on. John chapter 9 just goes right into John chapter 10. And so Jesus says, truly I say to you, he's talking to the religious leaders of the day. And if I can put it this way, he's talking to the spiritual shepherds of the Jewish people. What would they have heard when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd? What would have come to their minds? And let's be honest, how does this relate to us? We're not first century. We're 21st century. How does this truth relate to you and me here and now? Well, that's what we're going to see today. And really, I want to leave with you two points. Okay? By referring to himself as the good shepherd, Jesus is making a statement of identity, and he's making a statement of distinction. Okay? Those are the two things I want to leave with us today. And then... After we're done looking at that, we'll just have some general points of application. Okay? So, first of all, Jesus is making a statement of identity when he refers to himself as the good shepherd. And for the remainder of our time, we're going to be in the Old Testament. So I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture that might even be more familiar than John chapter 10. Psalm 23. Let's go there. Psalm 23.
it would not surprise me if some of you just started quoting along, right? Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe in, in your Bibles there, or uh, whatever you're using to read the Bible, the word Lord is in all capital letters. Okay? Mine it is. And when you see that, especially reading in the Old Testament, all capital letters, that's a reference to a Hebrew term for God. That's God's proper name, we could say it. The Lord. This is Jehovah God. And he says, the Lord, the psalm writer David, the Lord is my shepherd. And all of the things that the Lord does in Psalm 23 are very shepherd-like. Leading sheep to water, making sure they're still and comforted. Sometimes giving them a knock on the head when they need it with his rod and staff, right? Those are comforting knocks, but they're knocks nonetheless protecting the sheep. God is doing this activity. This isn't the only time in the Old Testament where we see God described as a shepherd. Psalm 80 and verse 1, God is called the shepherd of Israel. In Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11, you have this really interesting kind of comparison or, or, or this description of God. In verse 10, he's described as a mighty warrior. And in verse 11, he's described as a shepherd tending his flock and gathering lambs to himself. When Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he's making himself equal with God. He explicitly says as much later on in chapter 10, John 10, 30. I and my Father are one. And we also see this again as a pattern of Jesus' ministry. John chapter 9, you have the works of God. Who can make a blind person see? Especially the way he did it. Spitting in dirt, putting it on his eyes. Wasn't anything magical about the dirt or his spit. Jesus is God. And it's no less effort for him to make a blind person see than it is to make anything. Exodus chapter 4. Moses is talking to God in the burning bush. You're familiar with that story, perhaps? The burning bush, where God, through this bush, is speaking to Moses. And he wants Moses to go back to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh. And, and, and Moses is giving all of these excuses as to why he's not the guy. And yet, what does God say? Who has made man's mouth? Or what makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? 
Is it not I, the Lord? This is not a difficult thing for God to give a person who is blind their sight. This is God. And so what Jesus is doing when he says, I am the good shepherd, he is making himself equal with God. Now, again, in the context of the Gospel of John, this fits perfectly with what John is trying to do. You remember? In John chapter 20, verse 31, he gives us the theme of the book, the overarching theme. He says, these things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, it's more than just this picture of him giving tender, loving care to sheep. No, it's him saying, I am God. So Jesus, by saying he's the good shepherd, both in his works in chapter 9 and his words in chapter 10, testify, they fall in line with this purpose, that Jesus is God. So Jesus, first of all, is making a statement of identity. That's what he's doing here in John 10. But second of all, Jesus is making a statement of distinction. He's making a statement of distinction. So what I want us to do now is I want us to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. It's not a book that my Bible falls open to quite easily. But it's really significant in the context of John chapter 10. You say, why is it significant? Well, it's significant because, again, we're thinking about these Pharisees. What would they have heard when Jesus of Nazareth says, I am the good shepherd? Are they just hearing a man, or maybe a good teacher, maybe someone who's doing some powerful things, talk about you know, how good he is at what he does? Or, or is Jesus saying something that when those Pharisees hear, they're thinking, wait a second. Wait a second. He's talking about us. He's comparing himself to us. In Ezekiel 34, they would have been familiar with. They would have heard, I am the good shepherd, and passages like this would have come to mind. You know, when we see the Pharisees getting so upset at what Jesus taught, sometimes, as the reader, we're like, why are they so upset? Well, this, passages like this help us to understand. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 34. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Now, as we read verse 4, think about the man born blind. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. 
but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to seek or search for them. You know, back in, in, in the writing of Ezekiel at this time, this word shepherd wasn't just exclusive to religious leaders. It was also often used for civic leaders, maybe kings, sometimes even gods in, in different, uh, you have different cultures, different people groups using the word shepherd even to describe their god. But when we see this phrase shepherd in the Old Testament, you have to remember that the context is here a theocracy where, where you have a king, but you also have prophets and priests, and ostensibly it was all underneath God. And so you have these shepherds, kings, but you also have religious leaders as well. And in the Old Testament, when the, Old Te when, when the word shepherd is used in reference to these leaders, it's almost always used in a derogatory way because of their failure to care for the people, their failure to care for the sheep. Isaiah 56, verses 10 and 12. Isaiah says they were derelict in their duties. They were blind even. Jeremiah chapter 23 says they were scattering the people. They were driving their flocks away, and they were not caring for people. They were not caring for the flock, and they were only caring for themselves. And here in Ezekiel chapter 34, we see the shepherds really just looking out for, after themselves and not caring for the sheep. I brought your attention to verse 4. Those who are sickly you've not strengthened. The diseased you've not healed. The broken you've not bound up. The scattered you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you've dominated them. Now think of John chapter 9. A man born blind, miraculously healed by Jesus. How do the Pharisees, how do Israel's shepherds treat this man? His whole life had been in the context of disability. Yet after Christ healed him, there was no care. There was no rejoicing. There was no seeking after this man other than interrogate him. Who did this to you? And then when he testifies, what happens? He's expelled from the synagogue. These Pharisees were more offended at the violation of the code, not the Mosaic code. Remember, Pastor Tim's preaching the past several weeks? Things that they had added on. They were more offended by the violation of the code than they were happy for a man healed. Frankly, they were more offended than they were even amazed. This is amazing. Yet that did not define their reaction in John 9. Offense did. Now, compare this activity, what we just described, to verses 11 through 16 in Ezekiel. Let's look back at Ezekiel. 34, verses 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. 
I will feed them in good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich, rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. Now, compare verse 16 to verse 4. Verse 16, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Then look at verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Verse 24, and I, the Lord God, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then look down at verse 30. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, are with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God. As we look at Ezekiel chapter 34 especially as what we just read in Ezekiel 34, and we referred to in Psalm 23. Jesus is making it clear to his audience then, as he is now, that he is the good shepherd, that he is distinct from these abusive shepherds, that he himself is God. He is not like shepherds who simply look out for their own best interests. So, how does this relate to you and me? What about us? What about now? Well, I think there's three points of application. There could be more, but I got three. When considering the nature of the shepherd, especially as he is distinct from other shepherds, we would benefit from asking the simple question in regards to the shepherd-sheep relationship, right? Shepherd-sheep. Let's just ask the simple question. Who benefits? Who benefits? Each sheep has a special place in the eyes of God. And so I think we can take from this that what the shepherd does will always be in the best interest for the sheep. What the good shepherd does will always be in the best interest of the sheep. God does not desire his people to wander, to be left to themselves, figuring things out, to navigate difficult things on their own. How many times have you said, in the past several years. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what to do. These are crazy times. I can't remember it ever being like this. You know, those things might be true, but they should never be the end of the sentence. God intends on leading us through these times by his son, Jesus Christ. You're right. It might be crazy. And for you, you might have asked that question and not having an answer. But what does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I am the gate. Follow me. 
by saying, I'm the good shepherd, he's making an invitation. Follow me. Yes, there's craziness. But we have the good shepherd. Follow him. You know what sheep do? They wonder. They wonder easily. Jesus leads. And he wants us to follow. Are you following Jesus? Is he your shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd? He uses that word my an awful lot in Psalm 23. And you know what? God uses the word my in reference to his sheep an awful lot in Ezekiel 34. There is a close relationship. And we're going to tease that out in days to come as we look at John chapter 10. These next two applications, though, are somewhat negatively stated. And I think it's important given the text. Jesus is making a distinction. Okay? He's distinguishing between himself and the shepherds who are simply looking out for themselves. Remember that Jesus, again, was making a contrast. So secondly, God will not tolerate having his sheep abused. They belong to him, and he has promised to care for them. From the Ezekiel passage, we see that this, this will be a correction. That God will correct. That Christ is the good shepherd, and he will not tolerate his sheep being abused. He loves and cares for them. Think of it this way. What would have made the Pharisees good shepherds in John 9. Man born blind, healed. What would have made, what, what actions would they have had that would have made them good shepherds instead of feeding on their own selves? Think of it. Now let's think of it today. We're sheep, followers of Jesus Christ. What does Ezekiel 34 say about the good shepherd, about the shepherd caring for those that were wounded, caring for those who were hurt? You know, when we come and gather and worship, not everybody limps on the outside. Sometimes they limp on the inside. When the sheep all come together, there's lots of context. Each one of you has a story. Each one of you has whatever it is that you're going through, gone through. As we exist, and I'm speaking to the body of Christ here, as we exist, may we be more mindful of the fact that we are with other sheep. And that maybe, yeah, they are working through sin, but maybe they're also working through weakness. Hebrews 4.15 says we have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. And so we come before him with boldness. And man, we sure want that for us, right? God's grace is great when it's extended to us and we want our fellow believers to extend that same level of grace, be gracious. 
But guess what? Your fellow sheep may be in desperate need of it too. When we think of how the Pharisees should have acted as good shepherds, and then you see how Jesus would act, how do you think he would want us to act? Which leads me to my third point of application. God will not tolerate having his sheep abused. Third application, being part of God's flock does not guarantee that we will be free from conflict. Being part of God's flock does not guarantee that we will be free from conflict. In both Old Testament and New Testament contexts, we're taught that even being part of God's people will entail an element of fear, danger, discomfort. Look what happened to the man born blind after he followed Christ. Did everything get better? Yes, he saw, but guess what? He was expelled from his community. Who was there to have him? Who was there to comfort him? One commentator put it, puts it this way. Jesus came to bring comfort to the afflicted, but he also brought affliction to the comfortable. And there is a difference between being comforted and being comfortable. The body of Christ ought to be a place that can bring comfort, but the body of Christ is not a place where we thrive to be comfortable. Because guess what? Sheep are continuing to be added. And what are those sheep like? Well, we just read about them in Ezekiel 34. And how does the good shepherd treat them? And what if they're not like you? That's not comfortable. We will be given rest when we are with the Lord. Amen. And think of it this way. John chapter 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That is fundamentally different than a prosperity, than a, than a just a, a, a high life approach to Christianity. How does God define life and more abundantly for the man born blind? He gained his sight, but more importantly, he gained his spiritual sight. And yet, lost his community. And yet, had his spiritual sight. If the body of Christ is to be a place where wounded sheep can heal and where weak sheep can get stronger and more healthy, then this truly is a place where Christ is. And I would say that this really is the reality as we come closer to what Christ means when he says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So this is a springboard. How would the Pharisees have heard what Jesus said in John 10? Jesus is God, and they aren't like him. And so here we go into John chapter 10. God willing, we'll pick up there next week. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the example of Jesus Christ, who is the gate, who is the good shepherd. Lord, we are so thankful for his example, but more importantly, we are so thankful for his loving kindness, for the fact that he never condescends in attitude, looking down on weak, feeble sheep, wagging his finger. He has come to save them. He's come to cause them to be healthy and to grow strong. And Lord, he is patient and loving. To be sure, he fends off wolves, and there will be some in our midst that profess Christ, but are not true followers. Lord, would they be converted today? Even as we hear the testimonies of three who have come to Christ, who are sheep following after the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But Lord, help us as well as followers of Jesus Christ to know, to love, and to have a mindset that the good shepherd would have, especially as we exist with other sheep. Lord, keep us free from wanting to make this place a place that sheep are expendable, where frankly it would just be better if we had it the way we wanted it. But Lord, may we grow in grace. May we grow in a mindset of what Christ had as he ministered to the man born blind. We love you. We thank you. Again, thank you for the testimonies of these who are about to come and share what Christ has done to change their life. In Jesus' name, amen.